You're listening to audio from Calvary Gravenhurst in Muskoka, Ontario. For more resources or to connect with someone in the church, please visit calvarygravenhurst.com. This week's sermon is taught by pastor of Next Generations, Mark Hockley. Morning, everyone. It's great to be with all of you. My name is Pastor Mark. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, if you haven't met me, um, please come say hi. I would love to. I would love to meet you. It's great to see so many of you here. Um, I just wanted to start off today um, just by encouraging you. I was driving home um, from the outdoor service last week with Maddie, and I just turned to Maddie and said, "I love our church. I really, really, genuinely just love our church. You guys are um, humble. You are encouraging. You are kind." Uh, you love the Lord, and I'm just very, very grateful um, to be a part of this body. You guys are fantastic, and I'm just very, very grateful for you, and I wanted you to know that. This morning, let's pray, and then we're going to dive into our sermon this morning. Lord, God, I just pray, Lord, that you would move, God, today. I pray that your spirit, God, would be active in our hearts and in our minds today, that we would really be engaged God, in the scriptures, Lord, that we open this morning, God, I pray that you would show us, God, the things that you want us to learn, that you would teach us, God, that you would encourage us, Lord, that you would challenge us, God, that we would be willing, God, to follow you, Lord, whatever the cost. God, I pray that you would stir up in us, God, a love for you, um, that for some of us, God, that we would, would we return to that first love, God, that when we, when we first, when you first opened our eyes and we saw the wonder and the beauty and the majesty of your love, um, for sinners like us, God, that we would, that would we have that, Lord, again? God, I pray these things in your name. Amen. All right. So, um, today's sermon is joyful in obedience. Psalm 37 verse 4 is going to be our jumping off point, and, um, but then we're going to end up in a lot of different places, so you can get your Bible flipping fingers ready. Um, I'm also going to throw a lot of the verses up on the screen, because some of them will, will move through them quickly, um, so you can feel free to write down references if you want to go back and look at them later. Um, today's sermon really, as promised, is going to center around some of the changes that we've made um, in the programming, in the church programming, and hopefully it's going to help to underpin um, and give reasons to why we've made some of the um, changes that we've made. And it's to exhort you, it's to encourage you um, to take what we've done and to um, use it to the glory of God. That's our goal. And so if you missed the announcement a couple of weeks ago, here's basically the short version of it. So as elders, right, including Pastor Ben, this was before he was on sabbatical, we didn't go rogue. Um, we felt that we were just a little bit um, unbalanced in some of the things that we were calling you to program-wise as a church. And so we wanted to strive to be obedient in all of the areas of what God's called us to, right, which is a large part of what we're going to look at this morning. And um, so we wanted to be obedient in all those things. And so um, to give you an example of that, one of the things that we looked at um, as we looked at church programming-wise is we obviously want to value um, gathering on Sunday mornings. That's super important for us to come together in fellowship and worship and um, to be taught the Word of God. That's very important. And we see that over and over again in Scripture. Um, but then we also have um, small groups that we were encouraging you to get involved with and go study God's Word there. And we were also having you do the Bible reading plan, um, looking at a very sort of macro view of God's word. And then we want you to get in and dive deep and study God's word more specifically. And all those things are really good, right? But we, we looked at it and we said, okay, we've got word, we've got word, we got word, we got word. And then we looked at our own lives and we looked at some of the lives of the people that we know in the church and we saw that we were maybe struggling or not doing some of these other things that God would call us to, right? For some of us, we're struggling in our prayer lives. For some of us, we're struggling in evangelism. For some of us, we're struggling in discipleship. For some of us, we're struggling in our marriages. And we want, what we wanted to do is get, sort of give some extra time out of the week, so we took out the small groups, we reverted them to the prayer groups, so to sort of revert our focus towards being able to um, pray better as a body, and then also have some more time in our life to actually go and live out as Christians, right? We don't just want to be eating, 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 and then we never exercise. That's not healthy, right? And so we want to, we want to, to, want to fight towards that balance, and that is our desire for 
um, some of these changes that we've made. And so the general goal of the changes that we've made is allow you to really prioritize Sunday morning, right, the gathering of believers, super important, and then hopefully, in general, to have one weeknight sort of programmed event from the church commitment per week, right? So throughout your family. So like on Mondays, we have a variety of different things. We've got youth some Mondays. We've got men's some Mondays. We've got women's some Mondays. And then on those Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursdays, just once a month, we've got those prayer groups, right? And since you're not going to be involved at both men's and women's and youth, you can't be at all of those things, then um, in the times where you're not at those things, then you have an opportunity to serve, right? So you have an opportunity in that off week to say, you know what, I can take that week that I'm off because I'm not doing anything at church that week, and I can give that to AV, or I can give that to missions, or I can give that to worship, or I can give that, that's going to be my night where I prep my Calvary Kids lesson in this so that I can go and um, bless those kids on Sunday morning, or the a variety of other opportunities that we have. So that's the general goal, right? And so I'm speaking in generalities, right? Because what I really need you to do in this sermon is engage, right? Because we're going to, I can't possibly speak to every single one of your individual life circumstances, right? We've got everyone here from little kids, right, right up through seniors, right? And you guys are all in different life stages. You're all in different life places, And so you're going to have to weigh this out. Some of you, you're going to be like, okay, I've got a little bit more time. Great, give it, right? Some of you are like, I've got a little bit of less time. Fight, fight for these things that God's calling you to, right? And so that's what we're going to do. But whatever you're at, I want to challenge you um, in just in these categories that we're going to look at, the things that God has called us to as Christians, to consider how you spend your time. Consider how you spend your time. Take account of how you use your time. Um, and that you would, because the goal is that we would strive to do everything that God is calling us to. I don't think he calls us to it um, by accident. He calls it to us for a reason, that we would trust and obey. So we're going to do something very awkward and wholly biblical, and uh, we're going to take 30 seconds of silence, and we're just going to pray. And I want you to sit there and pray, and really calm your heart and calm your mind, um, because we're going to go over a pile of scriptures today. And I want you to really ask the Holy Spirit to show you the things that you're doing well in, that he would encourage you in those things, show you the things that maybe you need to add in your life or have him work on in your life. Maybe there's things that are going really well, but you actually need to drop off a little bit of it so that you can take something else that God's calling you to be obedient in. And so we're going to take about 30 seconds, um, and then um, we'll, we'll move on. But I just want to take that now and pray. God, would your Holy Spirit move and help us to know, God, what you desire for our lives. Help us to be obedient, God, in everything you've called us to. In your name, amen. All right, so here's the outline for today. So um, we are going to look at what is joyful obedience, because that's what we're striving for. Then we're going to look at this practically, right, what we're talking about here today. And then we're going to do a special section on prayer. We're going to spend a little bit more time there and because that is something that we have a special heart for. And you can see that by our desire to, to form these prayer groups um, because we believe that prayer um, is incredibly important. And yet it's something that a lot of us as North American Christians struggle with. And so we want to talk a little bit more about that. So, joyful in obedience. The title really is the premise, right? It's what I believe we see over and over and over again in Scripture, right? That the obedience really produces three main things. It brings glory to God, it produces joy in us, and then we see that it is for our good. And so here's our text, Psalm 37, verse 4, it says this, take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. Uh, you know I like to do this for you, so I want you to look at that verse, right? Look at this verse. You, I see two things in that verse, right? There's two things that you see in that verse. What do you see in that verse, right? Well, number one, we have a command, right? And number two, we have a promise. We have a command, and we have a promise, and it's a conditional promise. And what's 
the condition, right? It's that the command is to take delight in the Lord, that if we take delight in the Lord, then what's the condition? What's the promise? If we take delight in the Lord, then he will give you the desires of your heart, right? If we delight in the Lord, then we're, God's going to give us the desires of our heart. Why? Right? Because he loves us, because he's for us, right? Because he knows that the object that we're delighting in himself is for our good, and he's a God that loves us. John Piper says this. Um, I think it's um, quite interesting. He said, somebody asked me one time, should you pursue joy or should you pursue obedience? And I said, that is like saying, you should, pers- should you pursue apples Or should you pursue fruit? Because if you obey the command, delight yourself in the Lord, you are pursuing joy. And so obedience and joy can't be contrasted like that. Right? Obedience and joy, what I want you to see is that they're intertwined. Right? You can't have joy without obedience. Right? And so much of humanity's problem, including our own, right, it's really seeped into our own thinking, is we have this problem, right? We often want the joy of God before the obedience, right? We often want the blessing before the obedience. But that's not the pattern that our text lays out. What does our text lay out, right? That first we are to be obedient. Where are we to be obedient? We're to delight in the Lord, right? We're to fear the Lord. Remember last week in Deuteronomy 10, what, what did we look at, right? We demonstrate we love him, right? We know he says this, if you love me, you will obey my commands, right? So you delight in the Lord, you show you love the Lord by being obedient to him. So we delight in the Lord by fearing him, right? And ultimately that looks like being obedient to God, right? And then we are given the desires of our heart. We get the joy when we're obedient to God. When we delight in him, we get the joy, right? And why do we get the joy? Because when we delight in God, when we fix our eyes on him, what's the joy? The joy is God himself, right? That's the prize. That's the goal of the gospel. It's the goal of Christmas. It's the goal of the cross. It's God with us. That's the joy, right? When we fix our eyes on him. So I want to encourage you with this, that the things that we're going to look at right now, we want to do these things, right, for joyful obedience. So what do we need to be obedient in? We're going to look at a number of different verses um, that cover a number of different categories in Scripture. And um, this list isn't exhaustive, right? Um, and each of these things that we're going to talk about um, could be a sermon series, right? Many of them are a master's course on their own, and we're going to take them out in a minute and a half, um, right? And so some of the things that we look at, right, you're going to say that's overly simplistic, or maybe it's lacking nuance. You're right. It is. Right, We have a minute and a half. We don't have 24 hours. Um, but that's not my goal. My goal is that I want to jumpstart your brain. I want to show you God's word and allow the spirit to work in your life. I want you to engage with God's word right, in the Holy Spirit. And I want you to consider. right? So consider topic A and how you can be obedient. Consider how that's going in your life. Take stock of that. And then I want you to consider B and take... Stock of that. How are you being obedient in that? What does that look like? And then we're going to go on and on and on, right? And then you're going to have to wrestle with God and you're going to have to wrestle with what does that look like in my life? And you wrestle with your schedule and you're like, you know what? This is, this, I don't want you to get to the point where you're like, man, this feels overwhelming and I just want to crawl back under the covers and do nothing, right? That's not the goal. That's not where we want to get to, but we want to wrestle with all these things and see where God's calling us to be obedient, right? And what does that practically look like? Because it's not going to look the same. Um, for every person, and it's not, you can't do all of these um, 100% out, I guess, but you can do something, and that's what I want you to see. So first, God's word. We are always going to value God's word. Second Peter 3.18 says this, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity, right? To be obedient, what do you need to do? You need to know what he's calling you to, right? The first step in obedience, right, is you actually have to know, right? And that's why we call you to be in God's word, that you would know the things that God is calling you to do. But there's more than just that found in God's word, right? We know there's tons of stuff. But one of the other things that you find in God's word is that you will be able to accomplish um, what you want to accomplish, what you want to be obedient in, is that you actually need to know God, right? Because he's the one that's going to do the work, right? He's the one that's going to be the motivation, 
And so you need to know what he's calling you to, but you also need to actually know him, right? You remember we looked at that last week with the, or two weeks ago with the, three weeks ago? I don't remember. Three weeks ago with the fruit, right? Remember that where we looked at that, right? If you, you gotta know God because part of what makes it the good fruit is that we resemble him, right? That we're being made to look more like him. That's when we know that the good fruit is being produced in us. Um, the other thing that I just want to say here is that um, it's okay to be it's okay to be a baby. It's not okay to stay a baby, right? And this is important for us, right? As Christians, right? We don't um, we don't get on babies for being babies and not knowing anything because they're babies, right? But we start to get concerned when the babies, if they grow up and they still don't know much, right? If they're not growing at a healthy pace. Right? And so I would encourage you, if you are a young Christian, don't be discouraged that you don't know everything. We don't expect you to. Just continue to grow, continue to strive towards the Lord. Right? That is a good thing to do. Right? That's what we want. That's what we want to see. And if you are older and found out, actually, you know what, I haven't been growing that much, then now's a great time to start and start to strive towards the Lord and get to know what he's calling you to do, get to know him better. And the next area of our life, this affects a lot of us, is work. So look at Genesis 2.15. The Lord God took the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to watch over it. Um, If you know Genesis, you can look at this now or later if you want, um, you'll notice that God gave work as a good thing before sin entered the world. Right? So this is that, this means that work is actually a good thing for us to do. It's not just this horrible thing that we should all hate all the time and we can't wait for Friday. Right? So work is actually an important thing and it's given by God. Now there's, we our culture has a really bad, um, messed up view of work. Right? And we struggle with that in a lot of different ways. Right? Work is our identity. Bad. Right? We see that a lot, especially as people come out and they retire and they lose their identity right? And all of a sudden they really struggle, right? And that's because a lot of their identity was wrapped up in their work, right? That's not, that's not good. That's not healthy. Work taking you away from everything else God's calling you to, right? Some people work way too much, not good, right? That's bad, right? Being lazy, bad. Working to try to earn salvation, bad. Working to delight in God, good, right? There's an opportunity. God gives us lots of opportunities in our work, but it needs to be balanced. It needs to be healthy. Family life. 1 Timothy 5.8 says, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Not much really commentary needed for that one, huh? It's pretty straightforward. We can see what God's calling us to. We're called to care for our family. Ephesians 6, verse 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Parents, we are called to disciple our children. Right? We are called to disciple our children. Right? We're not to provoke them, but we're to bring them up in discipline and instruction of the Lord. Right? And that means that we need to give effort. That means that we need to and be intentional, and that means that you're going to have to learn some things so you can teach them, right? And they're going to ask you really good questions that you're probably going to have to go back, and you're going to practice humility and say, I don't know, and then you're going to go learn it, and then you're going to go teach it to them, right? And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Uh, but children, before you start nudging your parents um, too much, just remember in this text right before this, right, children are called not only to obey their parents, but also to actually honor their parents and children. That is what you are called to do. In 2 Timothy 1, 5, I am reminded of your sincere faith, the faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well, right? This applies to grandchildren as well. I think we are called to disciple our grandchildren, that we are called to take an active place in their life, that you would have the opportunity wherever possible, right, to have this, right? To have the faith and the love for God that is placed in you that one day that you would see that displayed in your grandchildren, right? And for some of them, they're not saved. Get on your knees and pray, right? For some of you that have the opportunity to have saved grandchildren, take an active part 
in discipling in their life wherever you can. It's, a, it's something that I think is a beautiful calling from the Lord. Church. Hebrews 10, 24 to 25, right? A lot of these are very well-known verses. And let us consider one another in order to provoke love in good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other. And all the more as you see the day approaching, right? We really want to value meeting together with other believers. And I want to ask you, do you love coming to church? Do you love coming to church? Is this something that excites you, right? I pray that you would love church so much that you would rarely want to miss it, right? I think in general, in North America, we so often miss church for reasons that are far too pitiful, right? We, we, our excuses are so lame. Um, Maddie always tells me a story when she lived in South Africa for a year. Um, there would be, she watched a single mom bring multiple kids on buses, hopping buses for three hours one way to get to church, Right, that's a beautiful commitment to gathering as believers, right? Can you imagine how horrible that would be? Hopping buses with multiple children for three hours on Sunday morning? You think your Sunday morning's hectic, right? Like that, that would be so challenging. And yet she loved gathering with believers, that we would love gathering together and that we would be, um, yeah, we would re- just really gather, um, well. Galatians 6, verse 2, carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Again, fairly straightforward. You don't need much commentary from me on that, but I'll ask you a question. Do you have space in your life to care for others? Do you have space in your life to do this? Where every time this comes up, you're like, well, but we're really busy, right? And if you have space on the flip side, because I find in our culture, most people, very few of us have done this balance well. We're either too busy or we aren't doing enough, right? We've, we've fallen on either side, right? And so if you're on that side, right, where you're like, man, I'm really busy, do you have space to do this? Because I think God's calling you to it. It's pretty clear. And if you have the space, the question is, are you using some of that space for this purpose? And I know that many of you do, but it's something that God is calling us to. And Hebrews 3.13 says this, But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. There's over 50-something one another verses in the Bible, right? Verses where we are called as Christians to do something with or for, um, either the positive or the negative, one another, right? What does that tell us? Very simply. It tells us that we were meant as Christians to live in community and not alone, right? That is something we were meant to do. And that is a challenge for us introverts, right? I've told you many of you before, I'm an introvert, right? And this, that, that very thought is a challenge to me that I would be called to do those things in spite of how sometimes my feelings, right? I want to grow in this, right? Because sometimes my, my initial reactions to things are as an introvert. And yet God is calling us to live as Christians in community. I chose this one. I could have chose any of the 50-some. Um, but we don't really know much about exhorting. Plus, it sounds funny. It's a funny word. Right? But we're called to exhort. And what is exhort? Right? To exhort basically is this. It's to develop relationships with other believers for the purpose of encouraging them in their spiritual growth. That's what exhort is. Christians, do you do this for one another? Right? Do you build relationships with other believers for the purpose of encouraging them in their spiritual growth, that you would know them, right? That you get a chance to know them and then you get a chance to encourage them in their spiritual growth. I was also thinking a lot about Christian community and developing Christian community because one of the things in moving away from these small groups, that's one of the things that we used to do, right? We used to, ha- we used to be able to develop that community through small groups, right? But now we've got other ways that we are going to be doing that. And so I want to encourage you with a few of these. I was thinking about my lifetime. I've been at three different churches and I've, um, I was looking over how I develop community at each one of these different churches, right? And God connected some dots for me and I just want to share them with you for the three that I found. I found that I mainly developed Christian community in three ways. Um, number one was the people that I served with. Right? So my closest friends across each of the churches that I have attended are the people that I serve with. Right? There are many good reasons to serve, 
Um, but this is a really wise and worthy byproduct to consider to pursue, right? And I've seen that happen in many of our ministries. I know some of you have wonderful friendships because of the people that you serve with, right? And that is truly a beautiful thing. It doesn't mean if you don't make best friends in something, you're like, I'm out. Like Mark told me I don't have to serve there anymore. That's not what I'm saying, right? But it is a worthy, um, it's a worthy byproduct to pursue. And as you serve with someone, I think you will, you will develop some of those friendships. Number two is the most obvious one, right? It's just people that you connect with, right? Personality-wise, lifestyle-wise, you're going to connect with those people. Uh, but that actually means you got to get out there a little bit, right? If you want to, you got to find out who you actually connect with, right? If all you do is you come here on Sunday and then you leave and you rarely talk to people, then you're not actually going to have the opportunity to find out who you connect with in those ways. Um, but number three is by far, I think my favorite, and I think I've talked to you about this before, but it's people that you connect with over your strong love of the Lord, right? Those are some of the most beautiful friendships in Christian community, right? They're some of my favorite relationships of the church, and there's multiple ways that this plays out. So one is intergenerational, right? I love some of the intergener- intergenerational um, relationships that, say that five times fast, that I have uh, because they're beautiful, right? We, we're not in the same life stage, right? But you just, you have a love of the Lord together. And so you like to spend time together. You like seeing that person. They encourage you in their faith. That's a beautiful, beautiful relationship to have, right? And it doesn't just happen across intergenerational, but it also just happens across personalities, right? And across different life stages, right? Th- those are beautiful things where it's like, you know what? Honestly, if, if we weren't Christians, we probably wouldn't be friends, but you love the Lord and I love the Lord. And when we get together and we get a chance to talk about God and encourage each other and we want to pray for each other, right? And I leave there going, man, that's a spiritual breath of fresh air hanging out with those people. Those are beautiful. Those are truly beautiful relationships. And those take time, right? And those take work and those take maturity. But um, I think they're really important, right? So you got to be intentional in those too, right? And it might mean stepping out of your comfort zone, right? Inviting people to your house for coffee or dessert or meal or like, hey, let's go hiking or let's watch football or I don't know what it is, right? It also means that if you want those kind of relationships, that you need to be pursuing God, right? That it means that you actually have a desire that wells up inside you where you actually want to talk about God, right? Where God comes up and you've got things that God's been teaching you, right? That you can then share with other people, right? Those are things that are important evangelism and discipleship, right? We just talked about Christian community. God calls us to be intentional in our Christian community. We're also called to be intentional in our greater community, right? We want to be active with our neighbors, right? And active in our culture with those around us, right? And then what's beautiful about this is as this works and as God starts to save those people, right? We don't save them. God does. Then what happens is they start to come into the Christian community. And guess what? You get called to be active with them as they come into the Christian community as well, right? We don't just be like, okay, we're going to pawn them off on the church, right? If you mean Ben, right, or me, that's not true. You're the church. So guess what? When they come in, you get to walk alongside them and you get to disciple them, right? And discipling is a really beautiful thing, right? You learn so much through discipling. It's fantastic. We know this verse well. Dustin talked about this verse in his Go Deep class. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Right? So we go and we tell people about Christ. Right? And then you share the gospel with them. Right? But God's the one that does the work. He saves them in his time. And then you get to do what? You get to teach them to be obedient to Christ. To observe all that I've commanded you to. Right? You get to teach them those things. Right? And it's, you will never learn more than by discipling somebody else. Right? Because you're, you get put on the spot. Like I get this every single week in, teaching, right, where I'm studying, I'm like, slam, 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 like God's just convicting you of stuff, right, left, right, and center, as you prepare to come and teach it, 
right? And then um, they ask you a question. You're like, man, I had no idea, but that's a really good question, right? And then you end up back in God's word or you end up talking to somebody else, right, to learn about that. And then you get to come back to that person and it's a beautiful, beautiful thing, right? Do we do these things, right? Are we intentional in discipleship? Do you have people right now that you are discipling, right? So often that's like this big, scary word. And there's a lot of Christians out there that are like, okay, don't actually ask to be discipled because no one's going to say yes. So just ask them out for coffee, right? And it's like, okay, maybe that's a great strategy, but overall it's embarrassing, right? Because the reality is as Christians, we shouldn't be scared, right? When someone walks up to you and say, hey, I want to be discipled, that should be glorious, right? We should be like, yes, that's what I want to do with my time. Right? Or you should be able to go find something and say, hey, do you want to go out and let's talk about the Lord? I want to teach you this. Or I'm reading the book of Romans. Do you want to read Romans with me? Right? Like Those are beautiful things. God is calling us to these things as Christians. Let's talk about relationships. We're not going to read all of this um, for sake of time. It's a um, well-known text on marriage from Ephesians 6. We'll just read the first part. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of his church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Right? The goal of your marriage is that you would reflect the love that Christ has for the church in your marriage. Right? Like that's your goal. Right? That people would see in your marriage the love that God has for the church. Isn't that crazy? Right? We know that love's immense because he died for the church. Right? And I think sometimes immediately when you read these verses, you might think of all the places that your spouse falls short right, in these areas. But I want to encourage you that those are the opportunities. Right? Those are the chances. Wherever, you're, wherever your spouse falls short, they're actually just being really kind to you and they're giving you an opportunity to do this, right? To show faithful, selfless, undying love, right? When the other person actually doesn't deserve it. That's the chance. They're being gracious to you. Take the opportunity that you would display the love of Christ in your marriage. Let's also talk about singleness. Romans 15, 5 through 7. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. I want to take a moment to exhort um, you who are single, right? Because I think overall the church has done a bad job of pointing people to the glory and the splendor um, of singleness and the gift that it is from God. So a few quick points. All right, first off, you can see on the screen that this is another one of those one another verses that we talked about. And I want you to notice that you have the same opportunity in singleness that other people do in marriage, to glorify God with one another, right? What does our text say? It says that you together may with one voice glorify God. That together that we're talking about, that's not just married people, right? That's friends, right? That's singles. What is this text talking about, right? It's talking about the church. That's what the text is talking about. It's talking about the church, that together, you with one voice, that's everyone. You have an opportunity to glorify God, right? And when you consider this, um, you have a beautiful opportunity here because what relationships are eternal? It's the church. Those are the relationships that we know from God's word are eternal, what, what relationships does the Bible tell us? I think it's Matthew 22. What relationships are temporal? They're temporary, right? Temporary opportunities. It's marriage, right? Marriage is temporary, right? It's a temporary opportunity to show, display the love of Christ in your marriage. But this together with the church is eternal and it's forever. I think singleness is also a fantastic opportunity to demonstrate Every single day that Christ is enough for you, right? In a culture where everyone wants you to be together with someone else, that you can demonstrate that Christ is enough. Many married couples actually struggle with this. Um, they didn't get this before they got married, and now it actually really hinders their ability to glorify Christ in their marriage. And as singles, you have an opportunity to exhort them in 
that. See, because what happens is when people don't get this, when they don't realize that Christ is enough, they start putting those expectations on their spouse. But their spouse can't handle those expectations because they're not God, right? And then all of a sudden that causes conflict and it hinders their ability to demonstrate the love of God, right, in their marriage, right? So we have to, as singles, know that Christ is enough and you get the opportunity to demonstrate that and to help, um, I think, especially your married friends because I've seen a lot of people struggle in this area. Um, One more thing, you also, you have some extra slots open, right? And some of the things that we've talked about, I'm living for God, right? Um, Leading or submitting to a spouse takes time, right? It takes work. Um, And um, discipling children, if you're blessed with children, that takes time. That takes work, right? And it's okay to desire those things. And it's also okay not to desire those things. But I would encourage you to be intentional with what God's given you now to bring God glory. Let's look at one more, widows and orphans. Well-known verse from James. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. We reflect the character of God when we take care of those who have less support um, of those around us, right? Because God, if you look at the Old Testament especially, over and over and over again, he shows a special place in his heart, right? For widows, for orphans, for others who can't, um, who don't have the same opportunity for the protection um, of those around them. And so God loves um, those people. And when we do that, we reflect God's character, which comes back to what? That good fruit that we talked about three weeks ago, right? Is that we would reflect God's character. And so this is something that God is calling us to do. So that's not an exhaustive list, but um, hopefully it's a good place for you to start. <laughs> it already makes me feel like, okay, I gotta really, gotta really wrestle, wrestle these things through. Right? But this is what I want you to encourage you to do. Be intentional with how you live for Christ. Plan. So for some of you, you're like, I can't wait. I love planning. For some of you, you're like, planning sounds like a disaster. I would rather um, go and do something else. Right? Um, but plan. Have a strategy. Right? We plan for our children's education. We plan for retirement. We plan out our savings so that we can buy real estate and vehicles and renovations. Um, Be intentional about the thing that's more important than any of those, right? To be intentional about how you actually live for God. Take these things and figure out how you can fit them into your schedule, right? So the goal is not to be perfect at all these things overnight. You can't simultaneously take seminary classes and raise five kids and have block parties every week and yada, 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 right? That's not what we're calling you to do. I don't want you to be like, man, I'm the worst Christian ever. I don't do any of these things good enough, right? That's not the goal. That's that's where Satan wins, right? But what I do want to encourage you to do is to take steps of growth in these different areas or maybe others that you've seen God reveal to you as you've been reading the word, right? Move from there being very little or nothing in this in your life to it being something. Start there, right? Move from having just a little to just a little bit more, right? You're going to bring glory to God as you continue to move towards obedience and you will find true joy in your soul as you do so. I genuinely believe that. And also on a very practical note, um, please make sure in that schedule that you do, you also have time just to rest, right? Some of us rest too much, and that's not healthy. And some of us don't rest enough, and that's not healthy either, right? Be wise. Strive for wisdom in this area in a culture that just destroys both ends of it, right? Either we're way too busy or we're, we're lazy beyond all measure, right? Let's strive for wisdom in the middle. One more section, prayer. I want to look at prayer because we really believe that God moves through prayer. So here's the question. We're just going to look at two of them. I wish we had time to do more stuff. Um, but how should we pray? How should we pray? Um, I made a little list up there. Um, you can take a picture of it or email me. I can send it to you or maybe we can post it with the sermon links, I can send it to Alyssa. Um, this isn't a, it's not an exhaustive list, um, but it's a very good start, right? And these are all different areas that God calls us to pray. And I put verses so, you know, I'm not just making it up. Um, and you can go look at those verses. 
And, but these are all different areas that God calls us to in prayer, right? And so often, um, when we think of prayer, all that we think of is praying maybe for ourselves or a little bit for others, right? And what I hope to show you by this list is that prayer is so much wider and so much more vast than what God's calling you to do than simply um, coming and praying for others. Yes, praying for others is good. Praying for yourself is okay. But it's a very, very small part of what God has actually called you to do in prayer, right? These are the things that God wants us to come to him with, right? And so why should we pray? Why should we pray? Two reasons. You probably already know them because I've been talking about them for a few weeks. Maybe you're tired of hearing them. It's for God's glory and it's for our good, right? I really believe that is at the crux of a lot of what is in God's word there. Why should we pray? It's for God's glory and it's for our good. So first, let's tackle for God's glory, right? So first, um, a theology of prayer. And when I was studying, I found this, um, John Piper had written, it's called A Theology of Prayer. Um, You can Google it if you want. You can see it. Um, It's got verses attached to all this stuff, but I just wanted to share it because I thought it was very succinct but very robust. And um, he's got five points, and they, they flow. They build on each other, and I think it's very helpful. So I hope you can follow the thought progression here. This is what he says. Number one. God created the universe and all that is in it to display the riches and the glory of his grace. I would say amen to that. That's what I see in scripture too, right? It's all about God's glory. That's first and foremost. Therefore, all persons should act in a way that calls attention to the glory of God's grace, right? If you're a believer and God created things for this purpose, right? Then we recognize that we were created for that purpose. We want to call attention to the Lord. Number three, the obedience and service of God's people will glorify him most when they consciously and manifestly depend on him for the grace and power to do what they do, right? That brings God glory. So prayer for God's help, right, in all those things that we just looked at on that list is one of the ways that God preserves and manifests the dependence of his people on his grace and his power. The necessity of prayer is a constant reminder and display of our dependence on God for everything so that he gets the glory when we get the help. And then number five, when the spirit inspires and directs the groaning in our hearts, the ultimate purpose in the universe happens. I want you to see this. God gets the glory because God the spirit creates the groanings in us. God gets the glory because God the Father is the one who hears and performs what the Spirit asks. God gets the glory because God the Son purchased for sinners every blessing they ever receive. And God gets the glory because our hearts are made the theater for this divine activity so that we know and experience God's gracious intercession for us and consciously give him thanks and praise. I hope you see that. That when we are obedient to God in prayer, first and foremost, it's not about us. We've sort of like claimed this prayer realm as like this thing where we're like, this is the thing that really is actually about us. And I don't know why we've thought that this is the one area of the Bible where God's called us to, where we think it's about us, because it's not. It's first and foremost about God, right? When we pray this act of obedience and doing what God has called us to do, it's first and foremost for him. It's for his glory. And second, it is for our good as well. Right? Because we can often ask this question, and I understand why this question comes. Right? If God's sovereign, then why do I pray? And that's a really great question. It's a big question. We don't have time to fully dive into all of it. Um, but I've got a couple of things for you, a couple aspects that I've used to um, understand that in my head. Um, so the first is this. I want you to look at this list, and I want you to look at all the things that have nothing to do with your prayer being answered, but are just there for your good. If you look at that list, knowing it can be bigger, most of the things God calls us to in prayer have nothing to do with our prayers being answered for just for like, for us, in the sense that like, 
How do I explain this well? When we come in, we're like, man, I really want, I want this for my life. And it's not like knowing God better. It's like something very practical, physical, right? By far the hardest verse that I had to find was the physical needs. That was my far my most challenging. Everything where I found where God wants us to pray, that we would know him better, right? That we would be thankful, right? All these other things, those were easy to find. The hardest one was to pray, was to find the ones where we get this immediate um, physical benefit that a lot of the time we're hoping for. That was the hardest, that was the hardest to, to find. And so I'll give you a couple examples, right, of what I'm talking about because um, confession, Take confession. Do you think God needs confession? No. Right? God is all-knowing. He knows all the sin I've committed. He also knows the sins I'm going to commit. Right? So why in the world does he call me to confess when he already knows those things? Do you think it's for God's benefit? No. Right? It's for my good. Right? Because when I pray and when I confess... What that does is it helps me to identify the things in my life that are sinful, that I need God to take control of, the sin in my life that needs to be destroyed, the sin in my life that needs to be given over to God, the areas where I fail to bring him glory, the areas where I've still taken them in for myself. When I confess and come to him, I identify those things, and then I can ask for him to be the one to help me through those things, and that produces glory to God, and that produces good fruit. Right? Do you see that? It's not for God. It's for us, right? That's why he's called us to pray. Look at thankful. Give you another example of this, right? Thankful. Same thing applies to thankful, doesn't it? Look at all the things that God's called us to be thankful for and so many more. Again, do you think that God has an ego problem? He's like, oh man, I just really hope they're going to say thank you today, right? God's not insecure, right? He doesn't need our thankfulness. Thankfulness is for our good, right? Um, Harvard did a study um, that found out what God has known for all of eternity, um, that thankfulness is um, incredibly helpful and healthy in people's lives. I'll give you a little excerpt from their study that I came across. They said, in positive psychology research, gratitude is strongly and consistently associated with greater happiness. Gratitude helps people feel more positive emotions, relish good experiences, improve their health, deal with adversity, and build strong relationships. And we know God does so much more than that, right? So in this great groundbreaking study by one of our favorite institutions, we found out what God's known for all of eternity, right? That he calls us to be thankful, and to be thankful to him, it's not for his good, but it is for us. So when we pray, right, we do things for God's glory, and basically all these things are for our good, right? When when we're going to grow in our spiritual life, that's for our good, and then God will use that, right? So we could keep going with that, but I hope you get the thought pattern there. Um, And so I'd be remiss if I didn't give a 100% shameless plug for our small groups um, and these, these prayer small groups that we are implementing. They're once a month, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursday nights, Um, You can go sign up on the website or call the office. And I really want to encourage everyone, right? This is literally like, what is it, like an hour and a half or two hours of your night once a month. I think there's like six or seven of them on the calendar. But I would encourage you, make an extreme effort to gather with a group of believers and pray. That you would experience the power of praying together, right? So our goal is that you would experience this power. We're going to take a bunch of these. I'm going to send lists of this kind of stuff to the leaders, and they're going to grab four or five of them, and we're going to pray. And you're going to you're going to love praying because you're not just praying like so often you've prayed, right? Just for myself or maybe for the, uh, the people around me that are hurting. You pray for so much more, and it is phenomenal. You, you won't imagine what it does for your soul. So I really want to encourage you in that right? And these groups are for everyone, right? If you've never prayed out loud in your life or you've been praying for 95 years, it doesn't matter. Come and pray. You will be blessed by these things. And if you're not comfortable yet praying out loud, I would encourage you, come and at the start, just sit, just listen to other people pray. Enter in quietly in your own mind, right? Join in silence to start, but but take that step and start because 
prayer is something that you can't get away from in Scripture. It's over and over and over and over again. It's something God is calling us to. And it's something that we want it to be very helpful in because we recognize that um, replicating um, corporate prayer um, is something that can be a challenge in your life. And so that's why we did want to take, in cutting back some of our programs, we said, no, this is really important, that we would put some effort into gathering our people together to pray. And so, as we close, let's look at this. Our heart as elders is that all of us would live in joyful obedience to God to bring Him glory. And practically, what I hope that you take away from the programming changes in the church is please be intentional with this time that we are endeavoring to give you, right? By us trying to call you to less program-wise, what we are hoping is that you will take the extra time that we may have taken away from you in the past and you would use it to do some of these things that God is calling you to, right? And so I pray that you would strive towards obedience in all of these things. Don't simply throw this time away, right? Then what we're doing here is useless, right? We want to strive for obedience in all these things that we would see all of these aspects, at least in some bit, in our lives, right? For God's glory and for our good. Let's pray, and then I'll invite Dustin up for communion. God, I pray that you would help us. This is a big task, Lord. We can look at the list. I know so often I feel it. Um, it, it feels sometimes it can feel overwhelming to follow you and to do everything that you have called us to do. God, I pray against the enemy that he wouldn't um, just take these things and take what's good, what you called us to, and overwhelm us. But God, I pray that your spirit would be really active in our hearts and in our lives, Lord, as we wrestle with what it looks like to put into practice, to be obedient in everything that you are calling us to. God, that you would help us understand what that looks like practically, God, in our schedules, in our lives, that we would be wise, God, in all the things that you are calling us to do. We desire to be people who are obedient to you, God. We want to bring you glory, Lord, and we want to experience the joy, God, of following you, of being obedient to you, of being delighting in you and fearing you, God. And so we pray these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon audio. For more resources or to connect with us, visit calvarygravenhurst.com.